You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Hello and welcome to episode number 20. I'm happy to be back online after a short break. Today I have the pleasure of chatting with Sari Taylor. She's a former psychotherapist who is now a coach who specializes in anxiety. I picked up a copy of her Healthy Minds manual when I was over in the UK and thought it would be nice to have a conversation with her. Sari and I do the same type of work with clients and are also members of the Resilient Young Minds community. I loved her manual and I'm looking forward to learning more about Sari and the work she does. So welcome, Sari. I'm very happy to have this conversation with you today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We've just recently, oh, I just recently connected with you. I just recently came across your manuals, um, Healthy Minds Manual for Families. So before we kind of get into that, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your kind of your your journey and what? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I uh, run Coaching Healthy Minds and this sort of started started in one direction and then drastically changed into another. So I'll start kind of in the beginning that I now sort of call my as my past life in a way. Um, I was severely anxious in my early 20s. And previous to that, I would have described myself as very confident and outgoing as would other people. And everyone was extremely surprised to hear that it was me that that ended up being anxious and it stemmed from being feeling like I was okay to in the space of probably around three weeks um getting to the point where I wouldn't even leave the house so it seemed like it happened really quickly I know now on reflection it's not quite like that but that's how it felt at the time so I then spent a month in hospital where I was quite heavily medicated um had little bits of therapy but nothing nothing major and came out of there still none the wiser not as anxious because that's what medication can do for you um but feeling extremely lost still and so I then went on to train as a psychotherapist partly at the time because I suppose I was embarrassed of where I ended up because it would seem so far removed from how I perceived myself and other people so I was kind of a bit embarrassed a bit ashamed um and so rather than just kind of say, I need help and I'll go and get help, I thought, well, if I train as a psychotherapist, I can pretend. <laughs> you can treat myself. But that that's the main <laughs> reason when really I'll get some therapy along the way. So I chose a course where to become trained as a psychotherapist, I actually had to be in therapy every week across that four-year period. Okay. That was part of the, um, the terms and conditions, I suppose, of the course. So I started out on that journey, which was a big roller coaster for anyone that's trained as a psychotherapist will know. And it helped a lot. And I had a really great, vibrant um, private practice, really enjoyed my work, I was getting some great results. But from a personal perspective, even though most of my life I was, would seem to be fine, I still lived with, I suppose, an underlying fear of what if I got anxious like that again? I never really trusted that I was okay. I kind of just managed my life from one year to the next, just keeping my fingers crossed that I wouldn't get to a point where I had been previously, where being so anxious that my life would be completely put on hold. So I still had that kind of fear underneath. So I would still always look 
to find new ways to fix myself and, and also use mm. to enhance my client's experience. So I was always looking for more and more. So I trained in NLP and then a number of years later, I then um, went on a hypnotherapy course. And this is where um, I started to explore the three principles, but I didn't realize at the time that's what I was doing. I was on a course that was to learn about hypnotherapy, but I didn't realize at the time that the person delivering the course had actually been um, mentored by Michael Neal who is a really well-known coach in the three principles area. And so it wasn't the three principles that I now coach in it in their purest terms. It was more, it was a version of, um, that was kind of integrated in with hypnotherapy. But again, like most things in my life, um, in terms of anxiety, hypnotherapy worked for lots of people to reduce their anxiety. But for me, I actually, during being hypnotized the room was completely spinning and I felt so anxious and overthought it so much that I just had to ask them to stop um so then again it was almost like a reiteration of oh well you must be just more broken than anybody else and um you know all of that kind of reiteration that there was something wrong with me um this reiteration was kind of coming from within yeah, absolutely. So I was kind of like, why are people saying that this hypnotherapy is curing them from the, any fear of anxiety? And yet for me, I still, it still isn't working. Like mm. I must be a really severe case type of thing. And so I continued to, to explore and I, you know, I used hypnotherapy with other people, continued to be a therapist with other people, but still felt slightly broken or in fear of that I could potentially break down at some point in the future. Um, so I then came across a podcast, um, Nicola Bird, and I also listened to some of Michael Neal's stuff very early on as well. Um, Cause I mean, there's hundreds of podcasts and things out there, isn't there on the three principles, but they were like the first two that I really started to engage with. And I can remember really clearly the moment where something clicked and I wasn't sure what it was but I was just listening to the podcast and I was feeling quite low and I'd had a period of a couple of months where I'd felt quite anxious and quite stressed and I was sat by the washing machine mundanely folding clothes listening to the podcast feeling really sorry for myself thinking here I am again in this cycle you know what is wrong with me and listen to the podcast and something I don't know what it was and I just burst into tears because I just realized oh my god you have been torturing yourself for so long and you don't need to and I don't know what it was that was even said or what triggered that but something just shifted and so then I just became completely addicted to the three principles and just continued mm. to explore and learn and got so so much relief myself from it that I decided that I wasn't being true to myself or authentic if I carried on working as a psychotherapist. So I actually, yeah. from having a very busy, profitable practice, even with a waiting list, I stopped all of it and started again because I truly believed and I'd seen for myself. So although, yeah, I might get anxious sometimes, I'm a human being, but what I saw was that what was shifting was that fear of, fear of anxiety that underlying fear of well, what if I get anxious that just isn't there anymore and so I kind of wanted that for my clients as well I wanted that for, and I just felt like some of what I was doing in psychotherapy 
although it was helpful for people and people were feeding back to me that it'd been really helpful. But what I realize now is that what was helpful is they were through talking to me, having insights of their own, of the way thought works and their mind works. And we can kind of all have those for whatever reason at very different times. We could be sat by the washing machine like me folding washing, or you could be in a therapy session. But we've all got the capability and capacity to have those. And so, again, I just really felt passionate about the fact that I just want to point people in that direction so they can have their own insights. And also knowing that for me to be in therapy for probably near enough 10 years, at times now looking back was really not helpful for me. It was perpetuating my anxiety. It was me talking about my anxiety. It was me having almost a relationship with my anxiety, almost like it was my best friend and I was in a relationship with it, yeah. <laughs> which I didn't want to do anymore. So again, as well as, as, well as um, changing my practice completely, um, living my life differently, I quit therapy as well for the first time in you years. Up with anxiety. Yeah, and I honestly, <laughs> I honestly thought I would be in therapy for life and I would happily say to people, oh, I think it's great. You know, I, I think I'll always have a therapist. And just without any worries or concerns or fears of ending my relationship with my therapist, I just ended it and I've never, ever looked back. So sorry, that's quite the journey to be on. It's a beautiful journey. What, for some of our listeners who don't know, what does the three principles mean to you? So to me, the biggest, so we're talking about mind, thought and consciousness. And, you know, people don't need to get hung up on the words, they're just words, but For me, and if I'm working with children particularly, the three things that, if I was to simplify that, the three things that I think really important that changed for me and also helped lots of other people change is, first of all, trusting, trusting that we're okay, trusting and starting to see that innate well-being and that actually we're so much more capable and able than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. And... It's amazing how how valuable that is. I, I see it so often in children, particularly where parents will say to me, I don't know what it is that you're doing, but it's just fantastic. And I'm kind of like, I'm not really doing anything that major. I'm just reminding them or, or helping them understand that actually underneath all of that noise, they're really capable. Because I think, I don't know, about elsewhere in the world but in the UK we are so fixated in terms of mental health so we're so fixated on mental mental health but we're not really ever talking about mental health we become obsessed with with a diagnosis and ticking boxes that it's kind of like as mental health professionals we're talking constantly about what's wrong and how broken we are as a society Mm. and how terrible things are when we're not actually highlighting to anyone that actually, do you know that underneath all of that noise, there's, there's your capacity to just know what to do in the moment, just, you know, to, to be able to take care of yourself because that's how we're wired. We're survivors. Yeah. And yet then there's the thought aspect. So that's the mind part. Then you've got thought, which is about understanding really how thoughts work. So when I look back, what I was doing for all those years, I had a whole load of stories, a whole load of patterns of how I believed I was and what would happen. And I just believed those thoughts. I just took them 
to be the truth. And again, the more I realize, oh, well, actually, they're not necessarily the truth. They might feel very real for me, but they're not truths. Just became much easier to let them go. So that's the second part. And then the third part is the bit that often a lot of my clients get a bit stuck with, the consciousness and awareness part. Um, and that's often because they get hung up on this word and it's, you know, it's a bit spiritual and this, that and the other. But actually, again, when I'm talking to children, the way I just simplify it is, you know, the fact that we have moods and again, our human nature that we can wake up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. And that doesn't mean that the rest of the day is doomed that, you know, the, the way that we see things and the way that our moods are shift, they naturally shift throughout the day. So I just kind of connect those three things in one of the things that I see that's so important is it because it's the words. People can get caught up in the words when it's not the words. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's what's behind them. And yeah. I don't know if you see this, but I see that kids catch on to this a bit quicker than some of the adults that I work with. Way quicker, <laughs> way quicker, literally way quicker. So the, so the point where I have been like amazed myself, like how on earth have they got to that point so quickly and and sometimes I have to stop myself and realize I'm seeing them through my own eyes because I'm sometimes almost doubt the progress and go they can't have got that that quick yeah I had a a young person who came to me because their parents they had the fear of flying Mm -hmm. and they were due to go on a family holiday and they had in the past point blank refused to get on flights because they were so anxious about it and they came to me maybe nearly maybe three weeks before they were due to go on this flight and said, I know it's not very long, but is there anything at all you can do? And I said, I don't know, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, and so this, this young person came to see me, I think three times, once a week for those three weeks. And all we did is talk about our capabilities, our innate well-being, And we talked a bit about thoughts. So we had some discussion around, you know, around flight. So we'd say things like, so I said to you tell, so for example, you tell me, where do you think is the safest, best place to sit on a flight? And she said, I have to sit in the middle because I feel so much safer in the middle um, so that I can kind of get out quickly. And I said, well, you know, when I'm on a flight, I have to sit by the window because I only feel safe if I can look out the window and see what's going on. So if I couldn't sit in the aisle because I wouldn't feel safe. And it was just little things like that that would say, isn't that interesting that we both have a very different view on where it's safe to sit? So actually, neither of those seats are the safest to sit. It's just our thoughts about them that we decide that's the safest place to be. So all I did was just little things like that. We just talked a bit about different perceptions and how thought works and then how that created our feelings that we had about flights and the nerves and what would happen in our flight and fight system and all of that and that's all we did and actually she went on holiday her parents were absolutely gobsmacked that she got on the flight and sent me a picture of her on holiday saying we're having a great time and that was that and I was actually amazed myself I was like how how does that happen so quick <laughs> but it, it just does. and in a way yeah I think in a way because they don't necessarily have as many years under their belt of conditioned thinking and beliefs as we do they don't seem to question it as much. They kind of go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And they just go with it. Whereas my brain took a lot longer to, to get it because I was going, yeah, that makes sense. But what but, about this? And yeah. what about that? And I would resist <laughs> I would resist it for, you know, 
till the cows come home. But yeah, so children do seem to pick it up so much quicker. Well, it's like, I think as adults, we try and like analyze or conceptualize. It has to fit into a box when it doesn't really, the box mm-hmm. just keeps it in this. <laughs> in, yeah. It's, it's just one of these things. Speaking of boxes, one of the things that doesn't work for, well, I mean, it's, it's something that kind of, I go against it is the labels. How, how are you with labels when, because often what we were speaking before we hit record is that sometimes what parents think that they're bringing their children to you for is not really kind of what the issue is. I've had that where parents bring their children to me for anxiety. And then you sit and you have a conversation with the child and you're like, you know, if I was in that situation, I would have anxious thinking too, you know, because I'm human and and you're human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, one of the things that I loved about resigning from my governing body as a psychotherapist was actually the freedom that that gave me to actually just work with that individual as they show up without having to have diagnosis, treatment plan. I don't prepare for sessions. Now, that might annoy some people who like to be organized and structured, but I purposefully don't prepare. I just show up and I just work with whatever is in front of me in that moment. So I do get parents that say to me, my child has X, Y, and Z diagnosis. And I'm always really clear that that's okay. And thank you for letting me know. Just so that you know, I won't be working with any of that. I'll just be working with whatever I see in that moment when they show up with me. Because in the nicest possible way, I'm not interested. If they have a diagnosis, say, for example, someone's diagnosed with autism, I really strongly believe that just because they have that diagnosis doesn't mean that they don't have the capacity to get a quieter mind. Okay, yeah. it might not be as quiet as somebody's somebody who hasn't got autism, but it doesn't mean we can't improve it. Yeah. And and give them that peace of mind that we all have access to, no matter what our diagnosis is. You know, I was I actually had somebody on a training course with me recently who I had seen as a client for a couple of years as a therapist, and then I ex- with anxiety. And she'd improved massively, but then I explained to her, okay, I'm gonna be honest with you, I've come across these three principles what do you think do you want to learn about them and she did and so she's gone from strength to strength and when I was on a training course with her the other week she said in front of the whole group she said do you know what I really thank you for Sari and what I really appreciate is the fact that you never ever gave me a diagnosis because what she's realized now is that people around her were telling her she had probably generalized anxiety disorder And now the way she sees herself is somebody who gets into a spiral of anxious thinking at times, but has nothing wrong with her. And she actually said to me, I thank you for not giving me a diagnosis because she also recognized that she would maybe be likely to try and hold on to that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. What I see. I don't agree with it at all. Yeah. Because to me, it's like when you put yourself in that kind of attach, attaching to a label, is that you sit in a box that's kind of, that's got boundaries on it, you know? And, and, and it's whereas yeah. when there's no label and no attachment, it's like, you know, we all get anxious thinking <laughs> sometimes more than other times. And, and that's okay because we're human, yeah. you know, and recognizing that it's okay to have that. Yeah. And the, you know, lots of children in the UK diagnosed with ADHD. I don't know if it's the same where you are, but it's a very, very common diagnosis. And, you know, again, I 
children will even tell me themselves, well, I'm like this because I've got ADHD. I can't do this because I've got ADHD. I'm, I'm hyper because I've got ADHD. And it's almost like the fact that they're human is forgotten. It always becomes about ADHD. And yet the same child, I've had it where a parent has said to me, they, um, you know, because of their ADHD, they can't sit and concentrate in class. They don't get on with their work. They have to be taken out into isolation. And then the same parent will say to me, and can you also help me? Because I really struggle to get them off the PlayStation. They can sit for 10 hours if I let them. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, so the child that can't sit and focus for half an hour is able to sit for six hours on a PlayStation. That's interesting. You know, and, but it's again, we generate these stories and we fit in with the labels. They have ADHD, so they can't sit for long in class. But then it's, there's no kind of connection to, oh, but they can sit for six hours on a PlayStation. It's like, it's almost so rigid in the way that people think that, again, all my job is partly is just going, have you ever considered like, how that works? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's just a thought. Just going <laughs> to throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you kind of balance equally with working with adults and children? I just kind of work with whoever whoever comes up really I do I work I work with probably 50 50 I don't don't go through stages where I tend to have more children at the time that I'm working with because I tend to get a lot of referrals from word of mouth so if I work with one child I tend to then get referrals of another three children in the same month whereas from working with adults the same thing sort of happens so it swings and roundabouts really but I honestly work with them in the exact same way yeah I don't see much of a difference for me um because again, I, even with adults, I like to really take it back to basics, you know, so people that are really academic, and there's lots of very clever people out there that, again, that teach these principles, but, you know, I'm, the way I work and what I enjoy doing is simplifying everything, so, mm-hmm. and I've had it where I've got people that I've worked with who try and over-intellectualize it all, and I'll just be like, oh, can you just you know, I don't understand even what you're saying. Can you just simplify it? You know, because again, for me, it, we overcomplicate things so much. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it is a mix, but I do tend to just go with the flow, really. Mm. It is funny how people want to make it more difficult, you know, <laughs> than it really yeah. is. Yeah. And it's one of these things... And it's almost so like it, it, it is. It's it, it's simple. People are like, well, if it's that simple, like you know, why why do, why doesn't everybody know about it? And it's like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a, a good question. I you know we don't know because something that I wish I'd come across ten years earlier, but I didn't. So it's just one of those things, isn't it? And yeah. you know, you know, I created it. The I created the manual to to just simplify everything just for some people to read and pick up. And yet again, it amazes me that I, I put something on my page today of a lady that's, that's read the manual and has sent me a message saying, you know, she was struggling to get out of the house. And then she thought I can just do it anyway, because I'm anxious whether I'm out or whether I'm in and just get on with it. And then she said, and something really strange happened. I came home and I went back out and I didn't realize till I got home that I'd not even given it a second thought. Now, some people will categorically say there's no way that's happened from her reading a book. <laughs> people will not believe it. I've had so many people message me, even sharing my own journey, saying, or insights or things that have happened, saying, 
you don't understand what real anxiety is like because there's no way it's that simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just and don't get I it. Sometimes they, yeah, there's no way that you don't understand because it's not that simple. And I always just go back with, um, was spending a month in hospital with severe anxiety enough? <laughs> you know, is that not enough of an experience of severe anxiety? <laughs> for me to understand you know and they're like oh right didn't realize because they can't believe it's that simple and if somebody had told me 10 years ago that it was that simple I would have questioned it as well same yeah yeah it's one of these things I think it just it's it, it kind of comes to you when when the time is right for it how old were you when you started to have like the really really bad anxiety I would say it was my I was about 22 20 I want to say like I think it was about 24 25 when I ended up being hospitalized I think it was 25 um it's hard to remember it seems like a long time ago but but then obviously looking back and reflection I could see that I was a massive overthinker my whole life but I just didn't know any different and that was just how I lived and how I functioned and obviously it caught up with me at some point and, and not having to, to kind of carry the weight of, of the thought bag on, on your shoulders. It's so, uh, it's so refreshing, you know. It's one, yeah. so a couple of weeks ago when I was flying over to the UK, um, it was freezing rain here the day that I left and my flight was delayed. And then my connecting flight left just as we landed in, in Montreal. The, the flight oh. to London was leaving. And... I was annoyed, but I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm annoyed about it because, you know, but it was like, but watching people around really, really <laughs> feel their thinking and then react from that was, it was, of course, we were all in line then at the desk to be rerouted. And it was just interesting watching people experience the same thing in so many different ways. It was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's such a gift. It's such a gift to have this understanding. Absolutely. So, sorry, tell yeah, me it is. just about the manual. So you created this manual and you've created it for families. What kind of made you, like, what, what inspired that? Um, people asking for it, really, because it does actually contradict, in a way, the idea of the principles. Because I'm forever telling people it's not a strategy, it's not a list of things to do. But people really want strategies and they really want lists of things to do. It's like they're hardwired hard wired to, yeah, but just tell me what to do. And I'm forever saying, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing to do. And so, yeah, so in the end, I thought, right, I'm going to I'm gonna have to trick them into doing nothing by reading a manual or giving them some level of structure. It was really more... It was really more people in schools asking me for something. But I ended up doing the parent one first because it was quicker and also because that would then lead on to the extra things for the school. So the idea behind it is to explain the three principles, but it's not, I mean, it doesn't really mention the three principles much even in there. It's just, it touches upon them. But all I do is give examples and give scenarios of little insights that I've had or with other people just to get people considering their own insights and so at the end of each section there is a little 
part where they do ask some questions and they can fill in if they if they wish to but it's really just for reflection mm. um just to get them considering really how their thoughts work and how their minds work so it does cover the principles um but just in kind of like uh, lots of metaphors and analogies and it's almost like just an exploration of human nature is kind of what I call it but in a very simple format um and because it's the first one that I've done I it has videos with it because again the principles I think are really hard to sometimes put down in words and so I'm kind of very much about doing videos and get good feedback from a video so I like I wanted to give them that personal aspect as well um and then I created a support group for the first month so that people can ask questions partly for them to ask questions and partly for me to gauge how people are finding the use of it, right. you know, so yeah. that I can develop it and progress it over time. But it's just, just a kind of lighthearted way of exploring human nature, really. Mm. Which makes it's it's one of these things. It doesn't matter because because the three principles are descriptive. You know, <laughs> yeah. like you said, there's yeah. like, there's nothing to do, but. Yeah, if people like through reading it, and it's it's beautifully. I, I love the illustrations of it. It's nice. It's a nice kind of. Um, yeah, it's, it was done by a, a fourteen-year-old, a teenager, and I really wanted to get a teen. I wanted somebody young to do that for me because because it's for families and it's for it's for all ages. I've had the, the lady I mentioned earlier on this call. Um, that got help from the manual in terms of going out and not feeling as anxious is it got it for herself. So it's can be read by adults, but it can also be for children as well. So again, I wanted to make it so that it's there as a guide, but actually a parent can pick that up and think, okay, well my 10 year old would understand that or my 10 year old wouldn't understand that if they don't. Okay. I will explain it to them in a way that I know they'll understand. So it's just there for, it's not like a, set structure that they must follow but it's more of a here's some ideas here's some things to reflect on and just to share with with everybody in the family really do you find that um is it like there's a particular age so you said like 10 year olds is there kind of a like a lower kind of age range that you I would probably say that people under 10 might struggle to just read the manual and pick up from themselves. But I, I think under the, I mean, again, it depends on the 10 year old. My daughter's 11 True. and she kind of really understands a lot about the three principles because I talk about it all the time at home. So <laughs> she, I, I sometimes have to remember that she has been exposed to it longer than most 11 year olds would. But I've worked with this manual so with a 10-year-old in school and all I do is go through and I can quite quickly gauge which bits they get and which bits they don't get. And I just even use the manual myself as a guide and then expand on it depending on, you know, if they've talked about going on computer games, then I'll use an, a different example using a computer game rather than pet. So yeah. <laughs> it's just re And that's the other reason for the support group is to just for people to say, okay, sorry, I understand what you're saying here, but my... I'm struggling to explain it to my six-year-old and I'll just come up with some suggestions of how they might explain it to a six-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense for your daughter. How has this journey been for her kind of you got coming into this understanding and. Um, 
I think it's helped a lot. I think, but again, I think what's massively changed is my perception of her rather than her experience of life. Yeah. Because what I would do as a therapist, what I would do as a therapist is, as soon as she had a worry or concern, I'd want her to talk to me about it, I'd want to explore it, I'd want to go into all the potential options, I'd want to really fix it for her. Whereas now, because I understand that I have innate well-being, I can't possibly not see that she has it as well. Yeah. And so what I would do, and again, I help a lot of anxious parents because what often happens is if a parent is anxious, as soon as a child gets even remotely stressed or has any anxious thinking, which they will do, they go into panic. Oh, my, my child is anxious. It's my fault. I've got to nip this in the bud before it gets really serious. And they go into panic mode of fixing their child when they don't necessarily need fixing and they're just creating more anxious thinking in the child. And it's a vicious cycle. So I... I would say what's changed massively for my daughter is probably the way that I am able to let her be herself and not to smother her with what my perception of what she's thinking and feeling is. That's key. Right there, my perception of what the other person's thinking or feeling. It's it's one of these things that I feel like when you sit with somebody and... As Jack Pransky says, you're just kind of like an empty vessel. You know, instead of going in there with your predetermined, oh, okay, this is this, you know. It's, yeah. That's where the magic happens. Yeah. And that's kind of why there's a section in the end of the, at the end of the manual that's this, I've been using this, this thing called the leave approach for a number of years when I've trained in schools. And what was interesting about that is that when I switched over to the three principles, it was still relevant. So I've kept it because mm. it's just a little structure about, so it's, I mean, I won't go into it all now, but it's about, um, so the first letter of leave is, is L and it's all about listen and it's kind of saying that if you are sat with somebody and you have an idea of what you're going to say to them next while they're talking or where you want the conversation to end or where it's going to go, then you're not listening. So it's again, it's about listening, um, showing empathy, affirmations, validation, and, and then exploring. So it's very much about because I get asked so often, how do I help someone that's anxious? How do I do this? How do I do that? And actually, there's nothing that you can do apart from be there, listen openly, be loving, be compassionate, and not and, and appreciate that you're seeing them through your own eyes. And and I really believe a lot of the work I do with children comes from the parents seeing things differently. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree with that. That's um, sitting with them. And I think that's, that's different for kids um, when we kind of go in and, and we kind of, we're not there to fix. Often when I'm working with kids, I'm like, well, there's nothing to fix. You're not broken, mm-hmm. you know? And they're just kind of look at you like, hmm, you know? <laughs> or if you go in, often I'll go in with like Play-Doh or, you know, like different things and, and, and we just kind yeah. of chill and do things. But it's, 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 it's amazing to see how simple things can be, but um, simple yet profound. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get, I really empathize for parents because I can see how easy it is to go into panic mode when your child is displaying behaviors that upset you, um, you know, if somebody's self-harming and all of that. But it, 
the kind of irony of it is is that they often feel like if they they're so scared of getting it wrong to make them worse somehow or to but yet they don't realize is by and it's so hard when I say it out loud I think some parents will listen to this and think oh you know whatever but that we see that even if a child is self-harming that underneath that is the capacity and that innate well-being that is currently they can't see because their mind is so clouded with all of their anxious thinking that yet if none of us allude to that fact with them and point that out to them then we're all getting stuck in this thought storm so and again it's that forever time post you can't make them any worse you're not making them anything and that's the bit that's so hard as a parent and you know I know myself as a parent that you just want them to be happy and you just want to fix any problems that they appear to have but we just can make them so much worse by not allowing them to just go through the motions that they're going through. Does your daughter feel like so often because with my son, I mean, he's, he's been on workshops with me and, and, you know, we, we have conversations that he'll say to me about some other kids, but even with himself when he's caught up and he's like, I know it's just my thoughts, mommy, but right now it feels horrible. And I'm like, yeah, it does. Cause you know, when you're caught up in that, that's how it feels. And that's how it feels for me too. Me too. Does your daughter find that with her friends and stuff, Finley's often trying to share with kids when they're caught up in thought storms? <laughs> yeah, well, she, do, she does it with me. She does it with me. So I was going to the dentist the other day, and I really don't like going to the dentist. I know it's thought-related, and I know it's a story and all the rest of it. I still get caught up in it. I just don't like going. And so I was saying the day before in the morning oh I've got the dentist tomorrow and I really wish I didn't have to go to the dentist because I was having a filling so I knew that I was having some treatment I said to me mum it's tomorrow it's not even today why are you even thinking about it now it's not even today <laughs> yeah. uh, or and she'll regularly say to me are you overthinking that you know yeah. or so she she I, I don't know with her friend she's just started high school um so they're still very much finding their feet in their new friendship mm, groups, but yeah. she certainly does it with she certainly does it with me. <laughs> Kids are our best I just teachers. Roll my eyes. <laughs> oh yeah, just like oh god, she's right, she's right. I heard something last week. Um, somebody was talking about their child was anxious about a class the next day, and so the father said to him. Like, how long is the class? And it was like 50 minutes. And he said, well, then why are you making it like <laughs> 24 hours and 50 minutes? You know, <laughs> because you're spending all this time before that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it is, I had um, a client yesterday, actually, that had sort of described her experience of just a tiny little thing that she said. I can't think exactly what it was now, but... I thought it was just a great little mantra for herself. She, she said she'd realized that when she was worrying about what if I have a panic attack in the future? And then she said, and I've realized that if I do, I'll deal with it. It'll be uncomfortable, but I'll deal with it. So why do I want to experience it twice by thinking about it now? Once is enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and it just, it's just, that's the realizations that people have very subtle and, seem very straightforward but that make a massive difference to their lives it's huge it's it's it was a game changer for me and it's obviously been a game changer for you 
Um, and, and same, it's like, it's one of these things where once you see it, you just wish and hope that everybody could see it as well. Cause it's like, Oh, your life would just be so much easier, <laughs> lighter, flow more. Yeah. yeah. So, you have this this manual for kids and now you're coming or for families and now you're going to be doing another one mm-hmm. for schools which is fabulous yeah i'm going to be um so the school one i'm just doing at the moment i've had the drawing done for the front which is just delightful for the same young man mm-hmm. um and so doing that yeah just working on that at the moment hopefully get that out within the next month um and then i just can envisage that they're going to develop and expand in some sort of direction I don't know what yet but Mm. um you know even maybe might look at foster families specifically or I don't know I'm just gonna see what comes I kind of just tend to create things based on what I'm asked for (laughs) yeah yeah where the demand is at that at that time Yeah. yeah that's good I think it's it's such a gift um I'm I'm I love it. I, I picked it up when I was in the UK, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have it. So sorry, this has been a really nice conversation. I've enjoyed getting to know you a bit more. Yeah, and me too. I look forward to seeing more of the manuals as they come out, as you roll them out. So yeah. um, I'll put all the inform- your contact information in the show notes for people to get in touch with you if they would like to Brilliant. learn more. Thank you. That's great. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. I do love technology for allowing me to sit here and have a beautiful conversation with someone on the other side of the ocean. I'm also immensely grateful to have stumbled upon the understanding of the three principles that myself and a lot of my guests share with others. It has changed my life, both personally and professionally. I am humbled and honored to be surrounded by a community of people like Sari. Being of service to others is a gift that keeps giving. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please continue to reach out with your comments, your questions, and your feedback. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways from today's conversation. There is immense power and potential when we don't adopt the notion that we are broken and need to be fixed. We all have anxious thoughts because we're human. We don't and can't fix that fact. When a parent or teacher embraces the fact that a child has innate well-being, we all do. The child is more likely to embrace that fact as well. And finally, we experience much less anxious thinking, life flows better, and is much more enjoyable when we don't engage with the vicious cycle of overthinking. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.